I got really good at wearing a mask. And if you wear that mask for a long enough time, you lose your own identity somewhere along the way. I remember getting up and saying, just get me to the point where I can lay back down and go to sleep. I had always had some glimmer of hope, but there was a point where that was gone. There is hope, and even when you don't feel like there is a way, God has a way to the other side. Every day is a blessing, and every day that I have with my children will be a blessing to know that I could have been dead or in jail. I'm just going to cherish every moment. And if the time comes, I'll be brave and share my story with them as best that I can. I had surrounded myself with a great group of people when I was young, so I had fun friends. And actually, one of the friend's brothers is the one who introduced us to marijuana. And that was kind of the beginning of the downward spiral in my life. The addiction started really gripping my life and consuming me, and so every dollar that I had to my name was spent on alcohol, was on drugs. I would go nights where I would sleep on couches, on floors, days without eating because my high was more important to me. It just consumed me. It was there from the moment I got up in the morning to the moment I passed out at night. Four months after my fourth DWI, I had a warrant for my arrest and I was finally sent to jail. When you get there, they strip you of all your clothes, make you stand in a shower with cold water. In that moment, I was scared because I thought, this is my future. Normally when you're in jail, they give you a cellmate and the first night the running light started flickering and the next morning they put me in a room by myself and it was in those times when I was alone in that room that I reached out and I feel like God was there waiting for me. I had felt that I was forgiven and in that forgiveness there was peace and I, I knew that there was a better life for me than the one that I had chosen for myself. So on that 28th day, I went in front of a judge with chains on my hands and I, I broke down and I cried and I explained to her the change that happened in my life. The first time walking into church after all this had happened, I just felt so welcomed and there's such an embrace there and this energy that I hadn't felt before in my life. I don't even remember what the message was, but it was as if the message had been written specifically for me. So at the end of the sermon, I gave my life to Jesus and realized that I wanted to live my life for Him. There is no problem too big for Jesus. He completely took my addiction to drugs and alcohol. If you give Jesus everything, 
He'll give you back more than you can even imagine. I believe that. I believe if you give Jesus everything you've got, he's going to give you more than you could have ever dreamt for, anything you could have imagined, your greatest wish, your greatest desire. Jesus has life and life abundantly, and he had it for Dave, he has it for you, and he'll do it again and again and again. And I have loved this series and all the testimonies that have been there, each person sharing how Jesus helped them to get to the other side of their story. And I just believe that this is a series of hope, and that's what we're ending on today. Uh, Jesus is the bridge to hope. How many believe Jesus is the bridge to hope? Can I get an amen? Yes. Jesus is the bridge to hope. And I want to say to Dave, thank you for being vulnerable, for saying uh, what you said. Um, I believe this. Hope showed up in his jail cell. I believe that. Hope showed up there. And then he came to church and hope kept flowing. And then hope found a name. It was Jesus. And Dave found the name that brought him hope, brought him forgiveness. And uh, thank you for being vulnerable to all the people in this series. And as a way of saying thank you again to Dave and all those that have shared, can we just show our appreciation by clapping for them and saying thank you. Thank you for sharing again. This is our, our last of this series, and we're, we're talking about Jesus, the bridge to hope. And uh, I've been saying these apply to our values as a church. And although hope is not the exact word that we use, uh, the word that I used to describe our church was, we are going to be inspiring. What do I mean by that? We are faith-filled. We are full of hope. We believe the best is yet to come. We believe your last chapter has not been written. That's the way we are. I mean, if you know me, I believe that life, that the glass is half full and comes with free refills. That's just the way I want to live. And I believe Jesus has more grace where that grace came from and more grace upon grace. And uh, people have said to me, they said, Pastor Rob, you're kind of like a poor man's Joel Osteen. I receive that. I'm full of hope and love. All right. I'm full of it. I'm there. All right. Um, I believe it. I believe that hope is real and hope is for today. And I believe hope is a beautiful thing. I believe hope is something that is so true and it's beautiful and it's something that people need to grab hold of. And I think in a world that is so lacking in hope, they're just hopeless. Uh, we need to be a church that offers it, gives it, celebrates it, and promotes it. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. I'll never forget, I was watching uh, one of my favorite movies, and I got to clarify really quick. TV version. I'm going to be very clear. Clear. TBS, TNT, wherever. All right. T Shawshank Redemption. TV version. All right. Be very clear. All right. Um, in there, uh, Andy Dufresne is talking about hope. And the other guy read Morgan Freeman. And, and he's like, Andy Dufresne, you know, and he, that's my best uh, Morgan Freeman there. Let me tell you something, my friend, you know, and he says, hope is a dangerous thing. And I'm sitting there watching him. No, it's not a dangerous thing. He says, hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. And as I was watching that, I was like, no, no, hope is a beautiful thing. Hope, I don't care how bad your situation is. I don't care if you're in prison. I don't care if you're in an addiction. I don't care if you're in the darkest, darkest spot. You need hope, and we're going to give you hope. And Jesus is the bridge to hope. Don't lose hope. Hold on to it. Grab hold of it. All right? Now, um, when we say Jesus is the bridge to hope, I want to clarify the difference between the world's use of hope and the church's use of hope, all right? When the world uses the word hope, they say like, well, I, I, I hope he shows up. 
And they kind of even use that inflection. Well, I hope it, I hope it happens. You know, I, I really hope it does. And what they mean is like my desire is for that to happen, but I'm not really certain that it could happen but I really want it to happen. Do you understand? That's how the world uses hope. And I want to let you know, when we're giving out hope and we're talking about Jesus is the bridge to hope, we're talking about biblical hope that isn't like that. It isn't like, well, I, I hope Jesus will forgive you. I hope he has another miracle up his sleeve. I hope. You know, that's not the way we're doing it, all right? Here's how we mean biblical hope. And another pastor said this, and I'm just going to read what he wrote because I thought it was so good. Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty to it. When the Lord says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means, like in the words of William Carey, who is the father of modern missions, by the way, and he went to India, it, when he said hope means this, expect great things from God. That's what biblical hope is. And it's based on a moral certainty that we are believing for good for the future. And the moral certainty is how good our loving Heavenly Father is. We sing this song at church. You're a good, good Father. You are perfect in all of your ways. Okay, we are saying we have hope in you. We have belief in you. And you are, we're certain because you're, you're good. You're, you're perfect. And because of that, we are believing for the best. We are hoping for the best. We are expecting for great things to happen. And so we are givers of hope. And I want to be very clear. Again, when somebody comes to our church looking for hope, we have biblical hope, not the world's kind of hope. It's very, very different. That's why we can put our hope in God. And by the way, um, I always love this when it happens in our series. Uh, this week, our, our soap reading for this weekend, one of the weeks, one of the days in our, our reading uh, was Psalm 42, and it talked about, why so downcast all my soul? Put your hope in God. And I always love it when our biblical reading lines up with our sermons. We don't plan that, but I always think that's kind of neat when God does that. And uh, I want to tell you that if you're not doing your biblical reading with us, the, the soap that we do, please do that. Read the chapters that we assign to everyone in the church. So we're doing the same thing. We're reading the Word of God. If you don't know about this, ask one of your pastors. They'll explain it to you. It's on our website. It's just an amazing thing that you can get into God's word, let it speak to you, and many times it reinforces what's going on in the sermon. That's just the way that God works. Now, in this world, there's a lot of people walking in darkness. There are a lot of people walking in darkness. There are a lot of people bound by a lot of sin, by a lot of evil, and by a lot of despair, destructive things, and they're bound. And, and the Bible says that in the midst of this darkness, God sent a light. God sent the light. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah was prophesying this about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up. And he said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Isaiah was talking about Jesus. He was saying there's people in darkness, there's people in bondage, there's people that are struggling, there's people that are, are living there and they need a bridge, they need a way to hope. And Isaiah was prophesying that in the middle of their darkness, God was going to send a light, and that light is Jesus. And that light, Jesus, came to this earth, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. And Jesus started dealing with people and helping them in their despair, in their disease, in their sin, in their darkness. And he was light, and it's a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, it's, it's amazing. 
You'll see, they'll say, here's where Jesus set this person free. Here's where Jesus healed this person. Here's where this miracle happened. Here's where this happened. And, and it's just, it's amazing. You just see how the light came into that dark time and all the people, I, it's almost as if Jesus could barely even go a couple blocks without being confronted by another thing of darkness, another thing of despair, another person that needed hope. And the light had come into the world. And I want to say, it's a beautiful thing that the light came in then and the light is still here today. We serve a living Savior, not a historical Savior that did miracles back then, but He does them today and He's still the light and He's still setting people free. And I want to say this, here at all of our campuses, we're going to give an opportunity for people to give their life to Jesus Christ, for you to be set free. Maybe you saw that video. Maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks and you've been watching each week. Wow, these people are finding hope. They're finding hope. They're finding light. Jesus is the answer. Your day could be today and we're going to give you an opportunity to say, yes, today's my day for Jesus to be the bridge to what I need, forgiveness and to be set free. So in the Bible, people came to Jesus and these people that we would call hopeless. And I think that's a bad word. I don't like that word, hopeless. I, don't, I, I know that people, we say like it's hopeless and it's a hopeless situation. How many know with Jesus, there's always hope? You know, um, but I'm, and I'm trying to get a new word, and I wish I could come up with a new word. Because how many other, we got the word hopeful, I like that one, hopeful. Then we got hope, I like hope. And then we've got hopeless. And there's, I think there needs to be other words, like you get hopeful and hope. And I think somewhere we say like hope leaning, you know, I mean, I don't know, hopeline, you know, hopeliner, I don't know. Some, okay, stick with me. And then there's hope, and then there's like hopeless. And I think between hope and hopeless, there needs to be another word like hopesome. I'm just going to make it up, hopesome. So there's people that are hopesome. And here's what I mean about people that are hopesome. Because people that are hopesome, and that's, that's not a real word. Don't look it up. <laughs> just made it up. They're not hopeless. They don't have hope, but they're, they, they want to. How many know if you show up at church, you got a little bit of hope. You're hopesome. You're not hopeless. How many know that when somebody's in despair, if they even look up when you talk to them, they still have hope? You know, and I believe that a lot of people that were hopesome or near hopeless, but not hopeless, you know, near it, um, came to Jesus. And you look through the Gospels and you see people that came with bad situation after bad situation, you know, blind people, lame people, people with uh, miracles that they need in their body for healing. You see the Samaritan mom and, you know, that was like, you know, even the dogs get the scraps and then she gets her miracle. That's why I put her between hope and hopeful. She was like hope leaner. You know what I mean? There needs to be these words. And you see all these people in varying degrees of wherever they were there. And I did find a case that I put in what I would call almost hopeless. This was barely hopesome. The dad had a little bit of hope and the son, I don't even know if he registered in this story. But if you're out of Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 17 and we're going to look at this, what we would call a real hopeless case, a very severe case, a case of somebody needing Jesus to be the bridge, the light to get him out of darkness. This guy was in serious, serious darkness. And I want you to grab hope from this story here that the Bible records for us as an example, and it shows us how Jesus brought light to a very dark situation. In Matthew 17, verse 14, it says, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for him, for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? 
How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him. For that moment, the boy was well, from that moment on. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why can we cast out that demon? He said, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, it's a beautiful story. It's a story of a dad with a son. And the Bible tells us in in other places that this young man was deaf and mute. And he didn't just accidentally fall into the fire. He just didn't accidentally fall into the water. The Bible gives us insight into a, a demon that was trying to destroy him. And this guy is bringing his son to Jesus. And he's saying, I, I, I need somebody to help me. I need, and this guy has, he's, has got hopesome. He's somewhere in there. He's not hopeless. He's, got, he's leaning. Maybe. I don't know where he is in this, but he's got enough hope to get to Jesus. And he's saying, are you the bridge? Are you the one that's going to get me to the other side? And he's like, I met with your disciples. Nice job on those guys, by the way. Losers. Okay, they couldn't do anything. Okay. Which side note? Can I just stop for a moment here with the disciples? That, that verse in there where he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here. Have you ever wondered, like, what does that mean? Like, are we supposed to go to the Rockies and be like, you know, I mean, like, what are we supposed to do with that? Let me, let me tell you what it means. Here's what it means. In their day and age, they said that anyone that could solve problems was a pulverizer of mountains. Because when you have a problem, your problem looks like a mountain. And so that when anyone would come along and help you solve your problem that looked like a mountain to you, you'd say, way to move the mountain. You pulverize the mountain. Good job. You are a pulverizer of the mountain. And so a great way to say this, Jesus was saying to his disciples, don't you understand? People have all sorts of problems. They have all sorts of bondage. They have all sorts of struggles, and it looks like a mountain to them. It's called various things, disease, alcohol, drugs, demonic possession, whatever it is, but it's a mountain. And he's like, I want you to pray. I want you to have faith because you are leaving here and you're going to go be pulverizers of mountains. And he's saying, I want you to go out there and set people free in the middle of their problem, pulverize their mountain, help them. And you're going to have to pray because some of these mountains are very big. Some of them have great resistance, but I'm going to give you the power to do that. And I want you to say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea and people's problems are going to fall by the wayside. So church, let me just tell you, you may be here, you may be saved, you may know Jesus, Lord and Savior, you may be full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. You are called to go out and be a pulverizer of mountains. You're supposed to leave here, leave the church, and go out. And when you see problems, realize this is a job for the pulverizer of mountains. It's your job. That's what you're called to do. So you need to be praying, God, help me to see the mountains for what they really are, something that can be pulverized. We can overcome this. And how are we going to overcome it? We're going to overcome it in the name of Jesus. That's how we're going to overcome it. So he was telling me, you need to be pulverizers of mountains. You need to get out there and do this. And I want you to overcome these mountains. They're going to be like this. People are struggling and they're bound and they need hope and they need an answer and they need to be set free. And I need you as my disciples to be pulverizers of mountains. And it hasn't changed. We're still pulverizers of mountains. And I love the way that sounds. Pulverizers of mountains. Now in this story, this guy is... His boy is demon-possessed. His boy is uh, deaf. He's dumb. He can't speak. 
can't hear. The demon is trying to destroy him. And I think about the similarities between this story and maybe stories around you. I don't know what your mountain is that needs to be pulverized, but this guy's mountain was trying to destroy him, and maybe yours is too. I think about Dave in the video. That mountain of drug addiction was trying to destroy him. It was trying to kill him. That's what the thief does. He steals, he kills, and destroys. And it was trying to destroy him. I think about this, like, he's like, the man comes to Jesus, like, it's like trying to kill him. It's trying to waste him away. It's trying to tear him down. And if you've ever seen anyone that's addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's like their body starts getting tore down. And I thank God when I see people at Teen Challenge and they, they go in one way and they come out another. It's almost like they, they, they come back to life again. And their face gets full again, not just from eating right, but the Spirit of God sets them free and takes down that mountain. This guy says, it's been a long time. Some people are bound for a long time. And they'll try other things. I believe people are desperate. They'll try and they'll try and they'll try and they'll try and they'll try. And they're looking for an answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is there. All right? And Jesus says, bring him to me. And I would tell you this right now. Our answer for everybody's mountain is bring him to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. You say, well, what if they need treatment? Okay, here's the deal. They need deliverance in Jesus, and they may need treatment to learn the discipline to stay sober, but they need Jesus first. Okay? I'm not opposed to treatment, but we're like, well, let's get them to treatment. Hope he gets saved. Like, they just need Jesus, okay? They need Jesus first, and then this. So we bring them to Jesus. And here's the thing that I've noticed about mountains. We're supposed to be pulverizers of mountain, mountains, and it seems like we're petrified of mountains. We see somebody in need. Here's what happens. We see someone in need, and we know the answer is Jesus, and we know we should tell them about Jesus, but the mountain speaks to us and goes, don't tell them about Jesus. You don't know how to solve this problem. They need this and this and this. You don't know this one. Don't open your mouth. And you want to say, you need Jesus. And then the, the mountain says, this is how the mountain attacks me, by the way. The mountain says, that's so simple. It can't be that simple. It can't be, don't say Jesus. You're sound like a religious fanatic. Don't say Jesus. You know, that's how the mountain attacks you. Here, here's the thing. It's bad enough that the mountain is tormenting them. Do not let the mountain taunt you. Okay? You just tell that mountain, shut up. Shut up. All right? Don't do it out loud. Just under your breath. All right? <laughs> shut up. And then you, again, it's just these mountains like, don't, don't tell them, don't tell them, don't tell them. Tell them it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. And so when the people are brought to, this young man's brought to Jesus, Jesus sets them free. That's the thing for us. We are supposed to bring people to Jesus. We are supposed to say he's the answer. He's the one. And we are going to go after this and help set people free and not let the mountain taunt us. And we're going to bring people to Jesus. Jesus is still the one that's setting people free. Again, I think about uh, the Thelines last week. Um, I talked to them after the service in their video. And I said, did you go to treatment? Did you do this? He said, no, Jesus set me free. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm telling you, that's what we need to do. Bring people to Jesus. We have to realize Jesus is a living Savior that sets people free. There's no time limit to his power. It's not like, sorry, it's too late. Yeah, you've been addicted 20 years. Sorry. You know, he's still setting people free. It's not too late. And there might be people here or one of our campuses like, it's been too long. This mountain's too big. There's no mountain too big for Jesus. No mountain too big. Now, I started out with Isaiah, and I want to go back there and then give you an example for here we are now. 
I started out with, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. And then I talked about Jesus was the light. He came into this world and he was the light for them. Matter of fact, in John chapter 9, verse 5, here's what Jesus says. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That's what he said. I'm the light. Remember Isaiah prophesied the people need a light? And he said, while I'm in the world, I am, in the, I am the light. But then here's what he said next. In, in Matthew, we have this recorded. He's talking to his disciples. He said, you are the light of the world. He gave his disciples a huge compliment. And he said, guess what? The light is here and the bridge of hope is here. The bridge of forgiveness is here. And when I'm leaving this earth, I'm leaving you to be the lights. You get to be the lights to go out there and shine to the world and let them know that there's a way to hope. There's a way to forgiveness. There's a way to deliverance. And he's like, you get to be the light. Go out there and you're not the light, but you're a mini light. So you could fill in the blank. You are a flashlight, a searchlight, a spotlight, a nightlight. Take your choice. All right. But you are called to be a light, a light to go out to these people that are bound in darkness. Where's the next Dave? Where's the next person that needs to be set free? It's up to us to be pulverizers of mountains and go after them and be the light to this world that so desperately needs Jesus. And I'll tell you this, I believe there's more stories to come. We've got to believe this. There are more stories to come. And I want to say this to the church right now. If you are supposed to be a pulverizer of mountains, where's the last mountain you pulverized? What's the last one you're chipping away at? What's the one you're right now praying about? You say, I don't have one. Then you better get to work because Jesus said we should be praying. We should be fasting. We should be ready to pulverize mountains. And that's part of our job description. There are people out there that need to be set free, that need to be brought to Jesus. And it's up to us to get out there and be the many lights leading them to the light and the one that can set them free. So church, that's your homework. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to start pulverizing some mountains. You need to go after it. You need to be praying. I had one uh, grandma, she came up, she said, my granddaughter needs a mountain pulverized in Jesus' name. And I said, give me your hand right now. And we prayed for Becca. I said, we're going to pray for Becca right now in Jesus' name. We're going to pulverize the mountains. And she said, I'm calling my granddaughter today and I'm telling her that grandma and grandpa are praying for her every day. We're going to pulverize her mountain. I was like, that's what we need. That's what we need. People are bound. And they need people that will go out and pulverize mountains, bring them to Jesus, be many lights to bring them to the light. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get out there and let's pulverize some mountains in his name. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here and at all of our campuses, we're going to have an opportunity right now for you to do that. Because this is what it's... There are people that have been pulverizing your mountain and it's your day to be set free. This is your day. So here and at all of our campuses, could you bow your heads right now and could you close your eyes as we get ready to give an opportunity for your mountain to be pulverized? Again, please don't listen to the lie that my mountain's too big, my mountain's too bad, my mountain has been built for way too long. Those are all lies. We want to silence that mountain in the name of Jesus. Your freedom is coming. Here and at all of our campuses, this is your day.